Well, we're here to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Let's memorize it. I hope you're utilizing it. By now, you probably have it memorized. Let's say it together and say it unto the Father. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Good deal. Now, let me ask you a question as we move into, we're at the pivot in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so take a look at this and... uh, we're, we're, we've done, we're right here. So we've gone through your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now we turn from heavenly things to earthly things. And so let me ask you a question. Does your prayer time have a pivot? Do you pivot in your prayer? When you pray, do you start out with God as your priority His glory, our priority, and then does your prayer pivot to where our needs He feeds. So that's the two parts of the Lord's Prayer. His glory is our priority. That's where we start. And then our needs He wants to feed, and then we pivot into what? So let me encourage you to have that pivot in your prayer time. And if you don't, then you're either focusing too much on only heavenly things... Or you're praying too much about only earthly things, there should be a pivot in your prayer. Now, last week we looked at the third petition. Your will be done on earth, and that especially means when we pray it in our hearts as it is in heaven. And so that third petition, uh, if you go on, Audra, that third petition is, is a turning point in our prayer life because when we pray, your will be done. Boy, that's a real test. That's a real test in our hearts. And Jesus said the same thing. Listen to Mark 3.33. Answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. And it's just a radical thought that that's who the real disciple is. It's not the disciple that prays this. It's the disciple that lives this. It's not the disciple. It's not the person who professes Christ. It's the person who does the will of the Father and the Son. In fact, Jesus even made this point clearer in Matthew 21, 28. Listen to this. He said this, but what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to a second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which one Which of the two did the will of his father? And the ones he was speaking to said, the first. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you. The point is, repenting to do the will is more important than simply saying you're going to do it and not doing it. So that third petition is a real turning point. But now we're here at the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. So it kind of seems like, wow, this is the really significant doing God's will. But the fourth petition reminds us that if you're not alive, you can't do God's will. You got you you to eat to live. And you got to be alive to do the will of God. God cares about each of these. So what's the relationship of this request to the others? Well, as I've said... It's a shift in focus from God to us. It's a shift in focus. That's the relationship from the three requests to God to us. And it's a reminder about the priorities in life. Priorities in praying and living. 
Who comes first in life? God. Who comes first in my prayers? God. That's a reminder of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. That's what uh, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, or in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he says all these things shall be added, he's talking about food and clothing. He's talking about bread, okay? And there's also a shift from our Father to us as his children. Because think about it. What does a father, a good father, do for his children? He provides, he pardons, and he protects. That's what a good father does. He provi- and, and anybody, any, anyone who has kids knows you've got to do all three of those things. You've got to provide for them, and you've got to forgive them because they get in trouble. You've got to pardon them, and then you've got to protect them from evil. And that's what, the last three re- that's what the next three requests is, that we not only are shifting from a focus on our Father, His name, His kingdom, His will, but now we're looking at ourselves as His children, and we're praying for His provision his pardon, and his protection. I hope this series is helping you to have a mindset that God is not just abstract and distant. He's your heavenly Father and that you approach him as his child expecting these things. But what's the relevance for us? Is asking for our daily bread really relevant for you and I? After all, most of us probably have enough bread to eat at home. And yet, I want you to think about this. Bread, which represents the necessities of life, right? Bread. I work to put what on the table? I work to put... Bread on the table, the necessities of life. But think about it. How often does bread, bread's our greatest necessity, but at the same time, it's often our greatest temptation. How often does bread come before the things of God? How much does providing for life's necessities come before the things of God? And how often does providing for life's necessities tempt us away from God? So this request, give us this day our daily bread, is a significant spiritual, it's really a place of spiritual warfare. And that's what I want you to see, that it is relevant for us. Our daily prayer, though, in America is often to eat less bread rather than get more bread, right? Someone once said the American version of our daily bread is this. Bless, O Lord, these delectable vittles. May they add to thy glory and not to our middles. Okay, that's just some humor today. Uh, So that's the idea. Well, Proverbs 38 through 9 reminds us of this. Listen to Proverbs 38 through 9. Keep falsehood and deceitful, deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty where I need bread, nor wealth where I have too much bread. Instead, feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? I don't need him. I've got all I need. Or we might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of our God. So... The idea here is just because uh, I think in our culture we're tempted, no matter who we are, no matter what our salary is, no matter what our our finances are, we're tempted not to pray for our daily bread because basically it's there in the fridge. It's there in the pantry. And yet Proverbs 38 through 9 is telling us there's a danger in having that much bread. And you can forsake and forget the Lord. So what I want to give you is a refresher course on God's provision for our daily needs. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look and see that when we pray this on a daily basis, I want you to leave here this morning thinking, you know what? I need to pray. Give me, give us this day our daily bread every day because it gives me four daily reminders about God's provision for me. And they're found in this verse. And so we're going to look at four questions. Our daily bread is a daily reminder. And we're going to look at four questions. And here's the first one. 
when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we should be reminded who is our provider. Who is who our provider really is. Who our provider. And we find that in the two words, give us. Give us. Okay? So let's take a look at it. What does that remind us of? Well, it reminds us of this. Give us reminds us that everything we have is a gift from God. Amen? Everything that we have is a gift from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift comes down from the Father above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Everything we have comes from God. Give us. So, here's the reminder. Who really is our provider? The first thing I want you to understand, the first thing is that it's my God, not me. It's my God and not myself. When you're blessed with as much bread as we have in this country, let's face it, it's easy to get mixed up about who really the provider is, right? Sometimes we have a hard time to decide who provides. And the, the, it's easy to forget that who is the provider and who really is the receiver. So I want you, if I can use this clip, I'll use it every time I can use it. So here's a little clip from Shenandoah by one of my favorite actors that kind of communicates this thought. Hopefully. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I just love that. Oh, I love that. Is that just classic? And all he's doing, the reason we laugh at that is he's putting into words how we really live, right? Okay, yeah, let me throw up a thank you for this food, but, you know, it's really, hey, I did it, all right? So... It's the idea that we forget he's the provider and not me. God knew this would happen. You know why he knew this this would happen? Because he's not a, a grudging giver. He's a generous giver, and he knew we would have an abundance. And he wants to warn us about two myths about his provision of our needs. Here's myth number one. Myth number one is I earn it. I provide it. I don't care how you put it in there. I provide it. I earn it. But that's false. It's not our power. It's God's power that provides what we have. And I want to show that to you. Turn to Deuteronomy 8 in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 8. We're going to be looking at Exodus 16. And we're going to look at John 6 repeatedly in this lesson. So you want to keep your Bibles open and flipping and looking and seeing it. So let's look at Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 18. The myth, I did this. I provided this. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. When you have eaten, and what the context is, Moses is warning them that when you get to the promised land, this land of flowing with milk and honey, And you're going to have all your needs met. You're going to forget who provided. Look at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. But look at verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten... And are satisfied. You got all the bread you need and have built good houses and lived in them. They achieved the American dream before America even existed. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then, then your heart will become proud. 
And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint in the wilderness. He fed you manna, bread, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power, Jimmy Stewart, to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to his fathers as it is this day. Don't fall for the myth that I did it in my power. God gives the power to provide. Myth number two, God provides it. Okay, okay, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as bad as Jimmy Stewart. God provides it, but I deserve it. That's the second myth. God provides it, but he kind of owed it to me because I'm so good. Well, you're there in Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 7. This is a myth because it's not because of your righteousness that you've got a home to live in, clothes to put on your back, food to feed yourself and your family. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of God's grace. So let's look at Deuteronomy 9, 4. Do not say in your heart, and, and stop right there. Do you see the battle on this is where? It's in the heart. And it's you and I talking to ourselves. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a provider, you know, and well, God, he, he, he provides it for me, but I deserve it. It's in the heart. Do not say in your heart when the Lord, your God has driven them out before you. That is the land of promise, the Canaanites, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is displeased possessing them before you. It's not for your righteousness or for your uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess land, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord... God is keeping his covenant. It's not because of your righteousness. Look at verse 6. Know then, It's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stubborn people. They were stubborn in the wilderness, and when they got in the land, they were even more stubborn, okay? Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Why? Because they forgot him and they didn't trust him. Anybody do that this week? Yeah, yeah. So the provision that we have is not because we earned it and it's not because we deserved it. Our provider gives to us because that's who he is and he keeps his covenant promises. Now, Who really is our provider is not just God. I want you to get away from just thinking of God as G-O-D and think about him as he is in his fullness. He is, it's our father who is our provider and not ourselves. So it's not, it's my God because I don't have the ability or the righteousness to do it, but also it's a father God. It is a father God. And I won't take the time to take us back through Matthew, right here in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 8 uh, tells us, The Father knows our need before we ask. Therefore, be eager to ask. Okay. Matthew 6, 31 through 34, He wants to give us what we need. So don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Pray for it and then expect it because He wants to meet our needs. But Look in, uh, you can turn back to Matthew, Matthew 7. Look at Matthew here, still in the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew 7, 7 through 11. God wants to give you what's best. What's best? 
Let's hit Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Listen, God's eager, but you got to knock, you got to ask, and you got to seek. But look at verse 9. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf? There's bread again. We'll give him a stone. Here, gnaw on that, son. You know, see what that does for your dental work. Or, verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. What do you think of that, Gwen? Yeah, you don't like that. You know, the ladies' study has several pictures of snakes. So Gwen goes through and takes post-it notes and puts them over the images of the snakes. And then she's proud of it and shows me. See, I covered up another snake. Okay, good. That's great, Gwen. All right. Well, a good father's not going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Can I get an amen? He's a great provider. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's a reminder who your provider really is. It's a sovereign God and a caring, loving, heavenly Father tell you this story. A young boy went to a local store, candy store, with his mother, and the shop owner was a kind man, passed him a large jar of suckers, and invited him to help himself to a handful. And this little boy was usually just eager for these kind of things, but he held back. And so the shop owner pulled out a handful of suckers for him. And when they got outside the store, the boy's mother asked her son, why were you suddenly so shy and hesitant? This isn't you. And his answer was this, because his hands is much, are much bigger than mine. His hand is much bigger than mine. Listen to me. Your heavenly father has big hands and he will provide what you need. But you've got to pray. Give us this day. Our daily bread. Now, how do I know if I really know who my provider is? How do I know I'm not deceiving myself in my heart like the Israelites? Well, I'm not going to teach you these, but I gave you these because they're just so good. Okay? Five books of a disciple who really knows God the Father is his or her provider. Your life will be marked by these five characteristics on a daily basis. Now, we could just give an invitation right here. Listen to me. Listen to me. When this truth is deep in our hearts, then on a daily basis, we're going to be marked by a prayerfulness. Lord, I need you to meet my need. We're going to be marked by a thankfulness. All right? I, 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 it saddens my heart that uh, the idea of giving thanks before eating is, I, I think, I, I don't know that it's getting passed to the next generations, okay? And, and listen, that marks us by saying, hey, this isn't, I didn't provide this. This is your meal, okay? And like for us, in our home, on Sundays, we'll say, Lord, thank you for providing a spiritual meal today at LifeBridge, but thank you for this physical food that we're eating as well. Contentedness. If God's the giver, then whatever we have is what we need. Faithfulness. When you really know God is provider, you're going to be faithful to tithe back to God on a regular basis. You're going to say, God, all this is yours, so I want to give you the first percentage first portion and i want to give to you before i even pay my bills because the only reason i'm going to be able to pay my bills is because you have provided this i'm telling you i'm telling you when you withhold god's tithe from him you're saying i'm the provider and i've got to manage this and i can manage this better than you you don't know what my real needs are therefore i'm going to withhold from you And then when I'm really in trouble, then I'll ask for you to bail me out. And he's like, well, I already gave you that. Anyway, unselfishness. When God's the provider, instead of being a hoarder, you become a giver. 
Because you know what? God provide for me. I'll provide for you. Isn't that? That's some beautiful stuff right there. All right, we've got to keep moving. Woo, that's just good. Oh, Lord, change our hearts, Lord. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, will not only be a daily reminder of who our provider is. Here's the second question. What does the Father really provide? What the Father's provision really is. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, what's the provision? It's bread. It's bread. That's the provision. But what does that mean? Well, bread, just like we say we work to put bread on the table, we don't, you know, we, we, we mean, you know, possibly a literal loaf, but what do we really mean? The necessities of life. The necessities of life is what bread represents. Listen, God's promise to meet our needs, not our greeds. Are you with me? He will meet our needs, not necessarily our wants, our greeds. There are three kinds of necessities that bread represents in this verse. So let's look at the first one. Our Father in heaven provides what's necessary to sustain our physical lives. Our physical lives. Let me tell you something really profound. Bread, in this verse, means bread. Literal, physical bread. And throughout church history, there's been many pastors and theologians who have wanted to change this bread into something mystical and spiritual because surely God wouldn't want us to pray for something as ordinary and mundane as physical bread. And I want to hear tell you, God cares about you, body and soul. God cares about what's going on in your spirit, but he cares about what you're doing with your body. He wants to provide for your spirit and for your body. This is best seen in the story of the manna from heaven. So turn your Bibles to Exodus 16. I told you we're going to be in Deuteronomy 8, Exodus 16, and we're going to be in John 6. So keep your Bibles moving. Exodus 16, the story in heaven. Look at verse 3. And the children of Israel said to him, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. I mean, think about these guys. We'd rather be living in heathen Egypt and been struck down by God as long as we were surrounded by a lot of food. Okay? And then he says... For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're in a wilderness. There is no food. There is, they are truly hungry. And look at verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. So when the children of Israel saw it, in other words, God said, Look, I care about your hunger. And he provided manna, bread from heaven. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? What is it? And this, isn't this what we do? We, we, we say, God, we have needs down here. Please provide. And then he provides. And then we look at his provision and say, what is it? What is it? And that's what manna means. Manna means, what is it? Okay. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to him, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Real physical bread. We must eat to live. And God knows how to give us daily provision to sustain our physical life. And physical life doesn't, isn't just eating, it's about our health. It's about our mental, physical, emotional, social health. Okay, God can sustain us. Secondly, here's what bread represents. What's necessary to satisfy our spiritual lives. So God wants to not only meet your physical needs, God ultimately wants to also meet your spiritual needs. So turn to Deuteronomy 8. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8. Why did God give manna to the children of Israel? Well, to feed them physically, Chris. You just told us that. Yeah, but why else did he give it? Why else did he give it? Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Manna... 
wasn't just for physical sustenance. It was also to meet spiritual needs. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 8.3. Moses says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, physical, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. You didn't provide it. You didn't even know how to provide it. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The point was, you have needs. And God, according to his will, led Israel to a point where those needs weren't met so that they would cry out to him and he would answer from heaven to remind them what you ultimately need is not just bread, is you need to feed on my word and my will. You need me as your provider. If you have me as the provider, then you have all the provision that you need. But if you have provision without the provider, you're hopeless. You're helpless. We must eat to live. And guess what? Jesus understood this as well. Think about Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 4. The very first temptation he faced in the wilderness was hunger. And the Satan, sa- Satan said to him, look at these stones, which in that day looked like baked bread in that culture. Look at those stones. You're the son of God. Turn those stones into bread. And Jesus, going back to Deuteronomy 8, being in the wilderness, said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's not just Jesus and Israel. In John 6, the multitudes came to Jesus and he fed them. And so then they said, wow, this guy is like a, a, a ATM for bread. Let's keep following him. And Jesus turns to him and says, I know why you're following me. Listen to John 6, 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Then he says this, do not labor for the food which perishes but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Physical bread? Sure. He provides it. We need it. It's real. But that physical bread is to remind us of a great need, spiritual bread. And here's the third necessity. What's necessary to secure our eternal lives. What's necessary to secure our eternal lives? Turn to John 6. Let's look, we were just in John 6. John 6, verse 30. Jesus makes this clear to the multitudes. They're, they're hungering after him because they want free bread. They want a, a bread ATM machine. They don't want a Messiah. And here's what he says, John 6, verse 30. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see and believe you? What work will you do? And let me give you a hint, Jesus. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. What he was trying to say was Moses didn't provide that bread. Moses was just a man. God provided that bread. And guess what? He's provided the ultimate bread myself. For the bread of God, verse 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Doesn't this sound like the woman at the well? The woman at the well, you know, give me water. Oh, you know, you don't have a bucket. I'm talking about spiritual. Oh, well, then give me this water so I don't have to come to the well. It's the same idea. And Jesus said to him, said to them, 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Then look at what he says, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's tying together bread and doing the will of God, just like he taught us to pray. Drop down to verse 47. Look at verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. And I would put forth to you, they're not just physically dead, they're spiritually dead because they didn't trust the Lord to go into the promised land. He's saying, look, they got what they hungered for. And what they hungered for was physical provision, and now they're dead physically and eternally. But, verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the, and the people of Israel, they're still not getting it. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, always bad when we go horizontal, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He who trusts in me and my future work of shedding my blood, raising from the dead, you will have eternal life. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Listen, God has provided. He cares about all this. He cares about your physical lives. He cares about your spiritual lives. And He will secure your eternal life if you turn to Jesus. Not to just meet and be your bread genie, your bread ATM. But if you come to Him to be your Messiah, your Lord, your Savior. Drop down to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. Why? Because they wanted the handout. They didn't want the hand of the Lord. They wanted the, the gift. They didn't want the giver. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, as I reflected on this, I realized that this is really the story of my own spiritual journey. My parents, I grew up in a home. They took me to, to church on a regular basis. They provided for my physical needs uh, uh, just beyond the best. But I had a spiritual hunger that wasn't being provided for until someone from this church challenged me to read the Bible that I owned, but I didn't read because no one told me to. And I didn't see anyone in our home reading it. And I began to read this word, and it satisfied the spiritual need. But as I fed on the word of God, I realized I had a deeper eternal need. And that's when at 17, I came to realize I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. Listen, how has God used bread to spiritually grow you? Uh, you know, let's, let's face it. You know, most of us have the physical needs that are met, and yet we're praying for Kara. 
There's physical needs of health that we are praying. We're praying for Ravi and the Romfels on, on seizures that he's having. Those are physical needs. We pray for those. But in large measure, most of our physical needs are met. But what about the spiritual needs? Have you put yourself on a starvation diet when it comes to the Word of God? Are you leaving manna, the book of the manna, closed and not feeding that? What about the bread of eternal life? Are you feasting on Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Well, this leads us to the third reminder, and it's this. How the Father chooses to provide it. How does the Father choose to provide? So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're reminded of how God provides. And what, how does He provide? Daily. Daily. So let's take a look at this. Turn back to Exodus 16. Turn back to Exodus 16. And we're going to see how God provided manna in the wilderness is how I think he still provides daily bread to us. So let's take a look at it. What does it mean to ask, give us this day our daily bread? The first thing to notice in the way that God provides for us is he gives us what is necessary. He gives us what is necessary. Why do I say that? He meets our needs and not our greeds. He meets our needs and not necessarily our wants. So let's take a look at it. Exodus 16, let's look at verses 16 and 18. Look at it. Verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it, the manna, according to each one's need. One omer, you know, a pint, let's just make it up, a quart, for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So get what you need for your family. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less, based on the size of their family, right? So when they had measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And it's Proverbs... It's that Proverbs passage lived out. Those that needed much didn't have anything left over. Those that needed little didn't lack. Isn't that good? What you needed is what God provided. So that's the first way he provides. What do you need for today? He provides. And that's the second thing. What is necessary for today? Daily means what is necessary for today. So keep reading in Exodus 16. Look at verse 19. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. No, uh, uh, no surprise, right? Okay. Don't leave any of it. Eat. Get what you need for today. Eat what you need. Don't try to save it over for tomorrow. But some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. It stinks when you try to hoard God's provision and not use it the way he wants. It will end up stinking your life up. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered every morning and every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted away. So manna appears and you better get out there and and gather it. Get to work. Do what you need to do to provide, because by afternoon it's gone. And it ain't coming until tomorrow morning. In the morning, he provides bread for today. And then in the evening, he gave them not only necessities, he gave them meat of quail in the evening. And so they not only got the necessity, well, bread, but they also got meat. They got barbecue in the evening, all right? And the idea was this, what you need in the morning is provided by the bread, and what you're going to need tomorrow is going to be provided in the evening. Morning and evening. One day. And when the manna came in the morning, 
it revealed the glory of the Lord. Look at chapter 16, Exodus 16, verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? And then verse 6. In the evening, the meat revealed the salvation in the Lord. Look at verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you will know that I am the Lord your God. So let me make application this way. Do you have a need in your life that's causing you to live day by day? Do you have a trial in your life that's causing you to live day by day? Do you have a temptation in your life that fates you, meets you day by day by day? Realize that God is allowing that in your life. Listen, He's allowing that in your life so that you will realize He is who you need more than anything else. He is driving you to Himself because He knows that's where your needs are best met. Finally, what is necessary for today in light of eternity? What is necessary for today in light of eternity? This is kind of a a hard point to grasp, but it's this. You say, God, give me what I need today, and here's what I think I need. And then God doesn't give it. And so what do we do with that? We need to realize he's giving you today what you really need for eternity. Does that make sense? If I don't have what I think I need, it's what I need in light of eternity. I can trust him. Listen, listen, Deuteronomy 8, 3 again. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Give me today. So here's what we're really praying. Give me today what I need in light of eternity. Give me today what I need in light of eternity. You know, and the beautiful thing is, Jesus met this temptation in the wilderness as our substitute. He resisted the temptation to live for physical bread. He lived for his father. He passed the test that Israel failed. He passed the test that you and I failed. We can trust in his name the Father will give us what we need. And that leads us to the last question, the last reminder. Why the Father chooses to provide the way He does? Why does the Father choose to provide the way He does? Give us this day our, our. Okay, here's the reason. It's a test and it's a testimony. It's a test and it's a testimony. Daily bread is a test of our faithfulness to the Lord. If you go back to Exodus 16, if you go back to Deuteronomy 8, and we've read these verses, so I'm not going to read them again, but when you go back, it's te- he's testing them. Will you trust me to be your provider? Listen, God provides on a daily basis, not to keep us on a hook dangling, you know, like, ha you need me, you got to come to me. No, it's to test whether we really see him as our provider. When we give God the first of our finances, it's a test. Can I trust him by putting him first in my finances? When it seems like we don't have, when we have more month than money, it's a test. Are we going to look at our provider and maybe we're spending money on wants instead of needs and we need to adjust the budget? Daily bread is a test of our faithfulness. And thank God Jesus passed that test. But listen to this. When you look at the study of the manna, some tried to gather more manna than God commanded. They said, gather enough for the day. And they tried to gather more, and what happened to it? It stunk. Life stinks when you try to hoard God's resources. 
Secondly, some tried to gather manna at times that God prohibited. God said, I'll provide manna six days. On the sixth day, I'm going to provide enough for the seventh day so that you don't have to work. You can worship me. And how sad is it that many people put meeting physical needs before church? In other words, they work to provide when God says you should be worshiping me. But most of all, daily bread is a testimony of his faithfulness to us. You know what they did with the manna? Moses, God told Moses, and Moses told the people, gather some manna in this omer, this jar, this portion, and we're going to put it in the ark of testimony. And you know what? That manna never went bad. It never spoiled. And they would always, when they worshiped the Lord, they would see physical bread there as a reminder, God can be trusted. Isn't that good? Hey, I can tell you, I can tell you, my wife and I, we, 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 uh, you know, we, we're, we're not rich people, but God has provided. And I, I truly believe uh, uh, now the, the amen. Amen. And maybe the, all our appliances will go out tomorrow because I say this, but God's our provider. But we have stuff that lasts. And that's what God did for the people of Israel. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out for for 40 years. God will sustain you when you put him first and when you trust him. He will give you today what you need in light of eternity. So let me challenge you. I say this every week. If you haven't done it, this is the week to do this. Take this home. Write down what you learned today about praying. Give us this day our daily bread. But then on the back, I I, I challenge you to pray through physical needs, spiritual needs, eternal needs. And I end the week with the five marks of someone who knows God is their provider. So take this. Pray through this. Think about your prayer life. Think about your needs right now. And pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Father, you're such a great provider. And I, I, in this room, there are testimony after testimony of your provision. Healing, physical, strength, comfort, comfort in facing physical death. There's in this room testimonies of you meeting spiritual need there's testimonies of people who cross from unbelief to belief god let us not be proud of heart let us not think that we earn it or we deserve it let us give glory to you as not a bread atm machine but a loving sovereign heavenly father who provides not only what we need but what's best for us in light of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. In the triune God we pray, amen.